This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Well, I'm going to continue on the topic of a biblical perspective on money. I've already done three episodes prior to this. This is number four in the series. I think we have two more, so this will be one of the longest series of episodes that I've done. But before I get into that, I'd like to remind you, if you have any questions, any comments, anything you'd like to communicate to me, any topics you'd like me to talk about, feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. And also, I realize that I haven't mentioned this uh, in a while. The music that you hear at the beginning, at the end of this episode, is actually from an album that I recorded many years ago. The name of the album is Sanctuary. And if you're interested to listen to it or perhaps even purchase it, you can find it wherever you download digital music. Look for Sanctuary by Michael Cantrell. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, things like that. Now, before we get into the topic of spending money, I'd like to do a little review. In the introduction, I talked a bit about money and various aspects of it. If you haven't heard that earlier episode or the previous ones to this, please feel free. I'd love for you to go back and listen to them. I talked about how comparison is the thief of joy and attitudes towards money in consumerist societies and in cash-poor societies. And I ended up talking about the big lie that the secret of happiness is money, that money will provide what we want, what we think we need, and perhaps what we do need in some sense, but we think money's going to do this for us. Freedom or security, power, respect. I talked about getting money, a biblical perspective on getting money, and went through eight common ways that people can get money. There are surely quite a few more ways than that, but we talked about the different ways that people can get money and which ones God commands us not ever to do, and what is God's will for the way that people should get money. Last time, I talked about having money and what is it to be wealthy, to keep money, to have money in your possession once you've gotten it. I spoke about the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the attitude towards blessings and curses. There's a very significant difference between the Old Testament teachings on wealth and money and blessings and curses and the New Testament teaching on these things. And this is really why we have to be so very careful not to just blindly ascribe Old Testament teachings to ourselves right now because we're under the New Covenant and God has revealed new understandings and deeper understandings for us in these New Covenant days. I talked about the danger of riches. I talked about how wealth can destroy a person. It starts with ambition and then addiction and then later adoration. And I talked about how is it that a human being can actually worship money. And today I'll talk about spending money. Once we've gotten money and once we have money, and we need to spend it. And I keep saying before I do that, I've got one more thing. I read an article about cryptocurrency recently. This will date this episode, I think, pretty well because maybe 10 years from now, people will go, oh, that is so 2022. 
But recently, people have been investing in cryptocurrencies, and the market went up very high, and now it's crashing. And I read an article about people who had lost so much wealth by investing in cryptocurrency. And one of these men, his name is Roy, invested about 2,500 euros into cryptocurrency. And it grew in value from 2,500 euros to 500,000 euros. He had bought into the market when it was going up at an amazing rate. One of the things that he said is he's had all that money. Let me see where it is. He said, I thought I was on top of the world. Nobody could tell me anything. Money would fix every single problem I faced from now on. Well, that's a very good example of what I was talking about last time. You have all this money and you think, well, the money's going to fix every problem. I'm going to depend upon the money. And he says, nobody could tell me anything. His pride would not allow him to listen to anyone else. Well, then the cryptocurrency market crashed. And the price of his investment dropped from over 500,000 euros to about 3,000 euros. He made some really bad investments as he was trying to cling to his wealth. And this is what he said. Oh, man. He said, I felt like I had lost my life because I had invested everything in cryptocurrency. I had built every dream I had on there. So when it came crashing down, my whole life came crashing down. Mm, That's really heartbreaking. We talked about that scripture. The Bible says that people pursue wealth and they pierce themselves with many griefs. And poor Roy, he pierced himself with many griefs. Chasing after this money, he wasn't doing any work. He just had a huge amount of value. And then it all went. And he says, it's not that he lost his money. It's like his life was gone. That's heartbreaking. It really is. Another story I wanted to tell, because we were talking about having money and being wealthy. I tell a lot of these stories about when I first came to Russia. Um, I assumed when I came here that I was going to live in a little apartment, like a little one-bedroom or maybe just a one-room apartment, where you have a living room that you sleep in, and then there's also a kitchen and a bathroom. And I assumed I was going to live in a little apartment like that. And I assumed that maybe at some point over time, I would buy some small Russian car. I was just going to live very simply and do my work, thinking that I'd live in a small apartment and have a little car sometime in the future. And then within a few months of arriving here, through really some miraculous turns of events, I found myself living in a four-bedroom apartment which also had a living room. So here in Russia, you'd call it a five-room apartment. I was in a four-bedroom apartment, and I was driving a minivan with seven seats in it. (laughs) And I was not planning on that, and I did not want that. And I remember struggling through the realization that just because I had an idea of what my life was going to be, that's not necessarily the idea that God had about what my life was going to be. And that I needed to very humbly receive whatever he brought to me. And I started learning the lesson then in a very real way that I am a steward of what God gives to me. Now, I would have said that when I lived in the United States, but I didn't really know it deeply. He brought to me a four-bedroom apartment. I was renting that. He brought to me 
a seven-seat minivan that somebody in America gave me the money to buy. I I didn't even ask them for the money. They said, Mike, what do you need? And I said, well, uh, there's this minivan that someone's offered to sell me, but I don't have the money for that. And they said, well, we'd like to buy that for you. I'm like, oh, wow. So there I was with a four-bedroom apartment and a big minivan. And then it turned out that I had people staying with me in my apartment People that were coming over to adopt orphans needed a place to stay. So we had a couple of bedrooms set aside for visitors. The ministry that I started, we set up a little office in one of the bedrooms. So we were all working out of this tiny bedroom. Four desks all jammed in together. And then I had my own room. And then we had lots of dinners and invited many people over to eat because the living room was a good size and a nice kitchen. That's where I met my wife. She came over when we had a dinner for a lot of interpreters, people that had been working with us. And that's where I met her. And then the van ended up full of orphans that were going off to camp or full of food that was being taken to retirees. So there are times when God may give us wealth because he has a plan and he knows what is soon to arrive. And sometimes he gives wealth so that this will be an aid to accomplish his will. And that's the way I think about that apartment. I'm not in that apartment anymore. The van is long gone. But for that time, in that place, those were the tools that God was bringing to me because he knew that apartment was going to be full of people. And he knew that van was going to be full of people and food and a really good tool to help in the ministry that he was preparing for me. Amen. So if you are in a time when a lot of money has come your way, don't cling to it and don't think that it's a sign that you're worthy of it. Think more of it like, okay, God has brought this wealth. What does he want me to do with it? I'm the steward of it. I'm holding it for the master. Amen. And this is where we come into spending money. If I'm driving a seven-person minivan Well, I'm spending money on fuel and tires and repair. And so I had this wealth. It was a wealth of an apartment and a wealth of a van. How do I use those things? And when he gives us money, how do we spend it? So now I'll get into the discussion about spending money. And the first thing to talk about is taxes. Do you pay your taxes? Do you spend your money on taxes? And the scripture is very, very clear about that. Christians are to pay taxes. Let's look at Romans 13, 6. Well, read all of Romans 13. It's about submission to authorities and believers doing what is right and submitting. Uh, We want to be free from fear from those who are in authority. And that God places authorities in this world and we're to submit to them and do what is right. And Paul says in verse 6, chapter 13 of Romans, This also is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Paul says, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If you owe respect, then pay respect. If honor, then honor. So believers are to pay taxes. And we really need to keep in mind what kind of government Paul was under when he wrote these things. Democracy was not an idea then. He lived 
under the Roman Empire, and the Roman Caesar was considered to be a god and to be worshipped. And the Romans were harsh and heavy. Roman taxes were very heavy and hard on people. And yet Paul called believers to pay their taxes gladly. The Bible says we should pray for the government and pay taxes. So really, there's not much more to say about God's will regarding taxes. That One way that we are to spend our money according to God's will is to pay taxes. Well, when we talk about spending money, we should also talk about debt. Uh, Last time we talked about having money and getting money, borrowing money. But now we're talking about spending the money from the other side. Is If we go into a debt and borrow money, then is that within the will of God for us to be in debt, to borrow money from people? I talked a little bit about this distinction that David Pawson makes, a difference between borrowing from somebody, but actually going into debt where you get behind in your payments when you can't make the payments anymore, even though you've agreed to certain terms for paying off what you've borrowed. Proverbs 22, verse 7, I've quoted it before, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And I want to emphasize one word here, and that is the word slave. The borrower is the slave of the lender. And someone who is enslaved means that they are in bondage, that they are limited. And when you borrow money from somebody, I mean, that can be from a bank or from a person. When you borrow money, your freedom is diminished. You have to deal with that debt. You have to service that debt. That's the language in America. And listen to it. You got to serve that debt. You're serving the debt. So we have to be very, very, very careful about going into debt or running up charges on credit cards, which is a very common way of borrowing money. Because once you get caught in that, and some of you listening are caught in that, you know that it is a master over you that the terms of those loans will dictate your actions. And that's when that becomes a master and you become a slave. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. We have to be very, very careful. So I encourage you, do everything you can in your life to get out from under owing anybody money. Uh, you're going to see the freedom that you have, which is really, really good. There's a particular freedom that is really great. If you're in a culture where there's not a lot of borrowing, not a lot of credit card use, and now your bank is offering you credit cards and businesses are offering to give you great terms that you take an object now, like some furniture or a television or whatever, you take that now and you pay off later, you'd be very careful about borrowing in that way because those terms can bite you. They can really hurt. Now, getting behind, as I said, getting behind on your payments, if you do borrow money and you're not able to pay according to the agreement that you have with the person who's lending you the money, that is a sin because that is stealing. If I've borrowed money from someone and I don't pay them back, then I'm stealing from them the money that I borrowed, money that belongs to them. I'm withholding money from them that they should have, and that's stealing. And the Bible is really clear, don't steal. In Ephesians, Paul says, Let him who stole steal no more, and let him earn enough for himself. Amen. As we discuss spending money, 
we must make a distinction between needs and desires. <laughs> this is particularly evident in discussions with little children. Oh, I need this, they say. Like, I don't know, a little stuffed animal. I need it. Well, obviously you don't need it because you can live fine without it. That's a desire. That's something that you want. And our Western culture, our consumerist culture, and it's really a global culture now, almost functions on exploiting the confusion between needs and desires. There's a lot of temptation in sales, and many people will tempt you to spend your money. And people are tempted to buy a furniture, a car, electronics. And it takes a strong Christian faith to fight that temptation. Your own heart will say, I need this. I got to have this. When you don't really need it, you want it, desperately want it. Remember God's wisdom. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There's another saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. Have you heard that? Well, which is it? A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions, or he who dies with the most toys wins, which is saying he who has the most abundance of possessions is the one who's got the better life. Well, clearly, the first is the word of God, and the second is the word of this world. And we need to know the difference between what we need and what we want. God knows what we need before we even know what we need. And we must trust him to provide for our needs, but not to provide for our wants. Now, there is a scripture that says God gives us the desires of our heart. Uh, there are a couple of ways to think about that, but the way I think about it now is, well, I used to think, sort of in terms of the health and wealth gospel, that I had a desire in my heart, and God was going to provide for that desire. Now I understand that he gives us the desires of our hearts, that he actually puts desires in our hearts. He gives us those desires. I didn't know that I wanted to live in Russia and have a full life in Russia. And then I got over here and God put that desire in my heart. He gave me the desire. And then he fulfilled that which he gave me. Amen. So we need to wait on God. We need to look for his provision and we need to surrender our own expectations, even our own ideas about what is best for us, and let our loving Father provide what he knows is best for us. And God has promises to us. We have to look at the promises of God. I've done an extended series on the promises and character of God. You can go back and listen to some of those episodes. And I start usually by quoting Peter in Second Peter chapter 1. And he says, Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, that's his own glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through those promises you may participate in the divine nature and Escape the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. There is corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. Evil desires are those desires that go contrary to the will of God. 
And Peter is saying that God, by his own glory and goodness, not because we're good or worthy even, but it's because of his goodness, that he has given us promises, really wonderful and valuable promises. And by those promises, we can participate in the nature of God and we can flee from, escape from the corruption that is caused by our ungodly desires. So what are some of these promises? Philippians 4, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let me read it incorrectly. God will supply everything you want according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, that's not right. He will supply every need, but he's not going to give us everything that we want. Amen? So if God has made a promise, if there's a promise for you in Scripture, that's a sure thing. That's a done deal. And I'm telling you, God is going to supply every need that you have, and that's going to come from his richness and glory that's found in Christ. And if you're in a situation where you don't have much, it's a challenge to say, well, God has given me what I need in order to share in his divine nature. Amen. Sometimes he'll lead us into times of poverty and loss. That's true. Sometimes he does it. And he's doing that so that we'll participate in that divine nature. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus himself said, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you'll drink, not about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's what Jesus says. This is not a hallmark greeting card message that's intended to encourage us so that we'll be happy and content. The Lord doesn't say, if you want... I suggest that maybe you try not being anxious about your life. No, he says, I'm telling you, don't be anxious about your life. It's a commandment from the creator of the universe. The one who knows the fabric of the universe tells you and me not to be anxious about our lives. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. And a little later in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord says, the Gentiles... Those are the people outside of the people of God. They seek after all these things, food and clothing and and wealth on the earth. The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything's going to be given to you. The things that you need, you'll get. Your Father knows that you need them. But don't seek those things. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the righteousness of God, and he'll give you what you need. Amen. That's a beautiful promise. And remember, Peter says he gives us these promises so that we can participate in that divine nature and we can run away from the corruption in the world that's caused by our evil desires. The Lord says, don't seek after these things on earth. Your Father in heaven, he knows that you need him. But what is the first thing to seek? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen. Isaiah 55, verse 2. God is saying, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, 
and delight yourselves in rich food. Well, why do we spend our money on things that aren't eternal? Why do we spend our money on things that don't really build us up and give us strength in the Spirit? We spend our money on things that don't really satisfy. And God is saying, you want to be satisfied? Really satisfied? Don't spend your money on things that don't satisfy you. Listen to me. His word is like bread. It's like food. It feeds our spirits. Don't spend money on things here on this earth that will fulfill our own selfish desires. Listen to God. Eat what is really good. Amen. He will provide what we need. Now, as we talk about spending money, we also need to think about making provision for the future. I've gone through this issue with my daughter recently. Uh, She gets some money and she just tends to spend it. But there's also a very important aspect of saving money, saving it up so that it can be spent later to make provision for yourself for the future. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read, make it your ambition to be dependent on nobody. That's an ambition. It's something that we should aim for, that we're not going to be dependent on anybody. And we don't want to be a beggar now, and we don't want to be a beggar in the future. And saving money is a good Christian thing to do. There are many examples in the scriptures of people saving up money for the future, preparing for hard times that are coming. Probably many of us have examples of that in our own lives. Over the last two years, I felt the Lord telling me not to spend some money, to set aside some money, and it's money that I would have spent in normal years on certain things, and I felt like God was saying, don't do it. And then this year, some really big expenses came up, and that money was sitting in the bank waiting, and I could see that God was telling me, you've got some things that are coming up, and you need to stop spending the money now. You need to save it now. Later, you're going to spend it. I've mentioned John Wesley a few times, and he said to his people, get all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And the early Methodists were called, quote, chaste snowdrops growing on a foul rubbish heap. John Wesley taught a lot of people about money, and those early Methodists were like chaste snowdrops, beautiful snowflakes that were on a foul rubbish heap. Wesley was ministering among the working classes. They had been spending a tremendous amount of money on gambling and drinking. And then they stopped spending their money on gambling and drinking. And they found out they had a lot of money. And one thing that Wesley remarked on later in his ministry was that people that had been spending all this money on their sinful desires, they stopped spending their money and then they ended up with a lot of money. And now they were being tempted in other directions because the building up of wealth There was a man, I believe he was an evangelist in England, and he had come from a very hard life, and he was speaking to a group of people with many unbelievers there. And one of the non-Christians challenged him and said, Do you really believe that Jesus turned water into wine? And he responded, Well, perhaps so, but I know in my house he turned beer into furniture. (laughs) Amen. Stop spending on sinful things, and you start spending it in better ways. Amen? Jesus turned beer into furniture. As we talk about spending money, we must keep in mind that we are stewards 
of God's wealth. All of the silver and all of the gold in the world belongs to God. There's a scripture in Psalm 50 that has really stood out to me. Uh, It's interesting the way God himself uses the language here. Uh, God says, Every animal in the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I've heard people quote that a lot. I've quoted it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, look what he says next. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field, they're mine. And now, this is its really something that God said this to people. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. That's quite a scripture. God is saying, you know what? If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell people about it because I own everything. I own the people even. I own all the wealth. I own the cattle. I own all the birds. I own all the creatures of the field. We are stewards of God's wealth. Now, in the next talk, I'll be talking about giving money, and we're going to talk about tithing. But now I will say that tithing can tend to make us think that 90% belongs to us. 10% goes to God and 90% is mine. But I don't think that's right. 100% of what you have belongs to God. And at some point, he is going to audit our accounts. He watches what we do. He keeps an eye on what we do. And he's going to audit our accounts. How do we handle his money? Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God does say that there is a way for us to lay up treasure in heaven, to store it up, to set it aside and have it waiting for us when we get to heaven. Again, I'll talk about that when we talk about Luke chapter 16. Spending money to store up treasures on earth, that is not the way of God. We need to spend our money to store up treasure in heaven. So I'll end with a couple of scriptures. I'll discuss the one from James chapter 4, but I'll start with Proverbs 21, verse 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Yep, if we love pleasure, if we love things that bring us satisfaction in this world, then we're going to end up poor. And that's in God's sight. You're not laying up things in heaven anymore. In James chapter 4, let's look at this. We're going to focus in on James 4, 3, but we'll read the context. Starting in chapter 4, verse 1, James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Well, this is what Peter was talking about, these selfish desires, ungodly desires. Continuing in verse 2, You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Well, there you go. If you're quarreling and fighting with other people, trying to get things from them or win, or you have these selfish desires inside that are fighting within you, none of that is focused on the Lord. And James says, you do not have because you don't ask God. 
And then in verse 3, When you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Yeah. The Lord says, do not spend money on your own pleasures. And you know what? We should not be asking God to give us money to spend on our own pleasures. Well, there was a musician when I was a young man named Janis Joplin, and she wrote a song that talks about this very thing. And I will read the lyrics to this song. It's called Mercedes Benz. I think everybody knows that a Mercedes Benz is a kind of a car and known as a luxury car in the United States. And here is the prayer of this song. Remember that James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. It's God's grace not to give us what we ask for if we're going to spend it selfishly. So here's the song. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. I worked hard all my life. No help from my friends. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? Dialing for dollars is trying to find me. I wait for delivery each day until three. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? I'm counting on you, Lord. Please don't let me down. Prove that you love me and buy the next round. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? Oh boy. <laughs> it's a really good song. It's tongue in cheek, as we would say, satire a statement on excessive living and calling out to God so that we can spend what he gives us on our own selfish motives. It's very insightful. God, give me a Mercedes-Benz, give me a nice car, because all my friends have nice cars like that. I've worked hard. God, give it to me. And then this last one, a night on the town. That means going off into clubs and drinking and dancing. Prove that you love me and buy the next round. God, show me that you love me by buying the drinks that I will use to satisfy myself, my own selfish desires. Well, that gives an insight into human nature, and it gives insight into what we should not be doing, and yet it gives insight into what is very often done. God, you prove that you love me by giving me what I want. Verse 4 of James chapter 4, You adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It is adultery to love money. It is adultery to spend our money on things that give us pleasures, ourselves, our selfish motivation. The Lord is saying that's adultery. And if we're friendly with the world, if we choose to love the things in the world, well, that actually is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world automatically becomes an enemy of God. There is so much more that can be said about spending money and a biblical perspective on spending money. But I pray that God will guard our hearts so that we would really deeply learn how to spend our money so that we store up treasures in heaven for the glory of God. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, 
you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.